The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Good morning. Today's scripture will be uh, verses 12 through 26, page 862. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, For power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil, on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. The word of the Lord. What a passage, huh? The word of our King. Let's pray and ask for God's help as we come before this incredible, incredible sermon from Jesus. Heavenly Father, we love you for being such a communicating God. You're always speaking to us. Lord, the heavens are declaring to us how wonderful you are. Of course, your word, Lord, is giving us just an objective reality to consider, to chew on about who you are, what you have for us, and best of all, your son, the very word of God. And uh, even now, Lord, we get to consider his teachings. And so we pray that the Holy Spirit would be here with us in our midst, in our minds, and our hearts. Please show us, teach us, Lord, what how to understand this passage and give us hearts that want to live this out, want to believe it, put it into practice. Lord, it is so eternally important. I pray for your help for me, Lord, that I could teach this faithfully. I pray your help for each one of us as we listen, Lord, that, that we would take even what could be a confronting message, and we would also take what is a comforting message, Lord, in the way that you would have for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in our text today, Jesus is going to tell you how to live a blessed life. And, and honestly, that means something like he's, he wants to tell you how to thrive. 
He wants to tell you how to be truly and deeply satisfied and happy forever. That's what the word means. So that's what he's showing you. Um, But as we consider his words, there's some things, you probably heard it, that seem a bit counterintuitive towards happiness. Like uh, for many of you, I know when you're like, I want to be happy, which means weeping and everyone hating me. And you're, wait, what? It's difficult. It's strange. So we need to work at two things, don't we? We need to work to understand what he means. What does he mean? But even bigger than that is the question of do you trust him? Do you believe him? Because he's speaking to people who are interested in being his disciple. Some are closer, some are further away. But to all of them who are listening, he's saying, this is what it's like. This is what it means. This is kind of his constitution on uh, his disciples and how they are to know him and follow him. So, so a question as we listen is, am I a disciple? Do I want to be a disciple? What does that mean for me? So we want to look at three things with you this morning. Number one, Jesus trustworthiness as the ultimate authority on how to live. Jesus trustworthiness. So, so there's going to be some challenging ideas in this sermon, and, and you won't come close to even wanting them if you don't trust him for who he is and what he's like. So we want to see his trustworthiness and build up that sense of, okay, I can trust him even when I don't understand, even when it's hard. Second, we want to look at Jesus' wisdom for this life. What does it mean to be blessed? We want to try to understand what it means. And then third, we want to close with the power to enter into it. How do you move into what he's giving you? So his trustworthiness, his wisdom, the power to enter in. Let's begin. So here we are in Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, what it kind of the culture of being a disciple. But before we get into the, the sermon, I want you to see what Jesus is doing. Do you see two major things? What do you have in the headings of your Bible here um, above verse 12? What do you have? The 12 apostles. So what's happening? Well, just to to sum it up, I'm not going to go through all the details of those guys right now. But to sum it up, you saw this, didn't you? Where did Jesus go? Up on a mountain. And who was he with on the mountain? He was praying to God. The language there is deep intimacy. He's with the Lord. And then he comes down from the mountain, and what does he do? He chooses 12 apostles out of the disciples. He chooses 12 apostles. So those would be messengers with authority. Authority to proclaim him. And how many of them were there? 12. Now y'all are used to this, right? 12. Duh, of course, 12. But why? Why 12? Why not 6 or 83 or 19? Who cares about 12? Tribes of Israel. You remember God's plan to save the world is going to be through Abraham and his family, and that family is going to become a nation. That nation is going to give us a king, and that that family became a nation of 12 tribes. So does this ring a bell if you've got any familiarity with the biblical storyline? Some really important guy up on a mountain with God comes down off the mountain to 12, his people, his tribes, and then he begins to Speak the word on how to live and how to know God. What what is Luke showing you here? So Luke, his first book is the Gospel of Luke. You know he has a second book too. You remember what that one's called? Acts. I want to show you just a a little nugget from one of Peter's sermons in the book of Acts. This is Acts 3, 22. This is Peter speaking, and look at what Peter says. Moses said... The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him 
in whatever he tells you. So Moses said, there's gonna be one who's like me. Moses was the greatest ever, right, in the Old Testament. He's the greatest ever. There's gonna be one who's like me. And Peter says, hey, we know who that is. Who is it? It's Jesus. Jesus was just up on the mountain with God. He's coming down off the mountain to his 12 apostles as he sets up his, as he, as he brings the people, he's building up the new people of God. Do you see what's happening? He's, Jesus is both fulfilling the true Jewish worship of the Old Testament, right? I'm the ultimate Moses. I'm bringing in God's people. I'm saving them from slavery. He's fulfilling the Old Testament, but he's also rejecting what in his day was the modern, corrupted Jewish religion. How many of his apostles are Pharisees, at least so far? None. How many are priests? None. Synagogue leaders? None. Sadducees? None. None. None of the religious Jewish establishment make it into Jesus' original leadership. He's rejecting the corrupted, self-righteous Jewish religion of his day, and he's setting up a new people of God. That's what he's doing. He's doing blatantly, doing it obviously. Luke is showing you. So Jesus is the new Moses. And if you have that, if you have any respect for Moses, right? He brought down the law. He was, he was God's humble, chosen leader for the people to lead them out of slavery. And Jesus is that new Moses. Who can you trust when it comes to hearing what God wants for your life? It's Jesus. Who can you look to to rescue you from slavery? It's Jesus. Who's gonna be the leader who takes you to the promised land. It's Jesus. You can trust him. I want to see the second thing as we move towards Jesus' sermon. Look at verse 17. What's the heading over that verse? Jesus ministers to a great multitude. So it's an incredible picture. He comes down on this plane. There's this huge crowd of disciples. That doesn't mean every one of those people loves Jesus and knows people. Disciple in that day meant follower and learner, and it was a common thing to latch on to a leader and a teacher and follow them around. So this is that whole group of people who are very interested in Jesus. They've been following him. They've been listening to him. But some of them are going to leave. Some of them are going to stay, and some of them are going to grow. They're all considering him. They're all listening to him. So you got, you got the apostles over here. They're in hard, right? They're committed. You got the disciples, they're, they're listening, they're interested, they're following. And then you've got this great crowd. They're just, they're curious. Jesus is amazing, he's interesting, his teaching is, in, is incredible, his miracles are amazing. Look at the end of this passage. Uh, Luke 6, 18. All these people came to hear him and to be what? Healed of their diseases. This massive crowd. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. Can you imagine all of a sudden if, uh, you know, Habib gets filled with the Holy Spirit in a unique way, and we just march over to Mile Square Park, okay, and everybody in Fountain Valley is like mobbing onto Mile Square Park, and they're all just like, let me touch him. And he healed every one of them. Cancer disappeared from Fountain Valley. Um, 
the lame are walking, the blind are seeing, the whole, the whole, in the, in the near geography, he heals them all. Sometimes Luke will give us specific stories, right? Remember, we've seen great stories already. He's touching a leper. His, his skin is cleansed, clean. Or, or the paralytic comes down right out of the roof. Remember that? Take up your bed and walk. <laughs> and he does it. And we're just amazed. Uh, and it's hard to understand, you know, he healed them all. But just imagine, he healed them all right before this sermon. So right before you get this sermon, what do you see about Jesus? He heals them all. Guess what comes right after this sermon? If you look in chapter 7, in chapter 7, you will see Jesus healing the poor and sick slave of a centurion. Talk about a nobody of the nobody of the nobodies. First of all, the centurion's a Gentile, Jews, yuck, we don't like him. Then it's a servant of a Gentile, really low in the totem pole. Jesus is happy to heal him. Then the next door you get is a widow who has lost her only son. So guess how her future is looking? As bad as can be, a widow with no children in the ancient world. That's a sad story. Look at how Jesus responds to her, Luke 7, 13. Luke 7, 13. When the Lord saw her, he had, what? Compassion for her. He broke for her. He cared for her. He loved her. He wanted to help her. So these miracles, isn't it amazing? You get this huge sermon sandwiched by, hey, I'm the ultimate prophet, listen to me, and then miracles. The miracles show you something. They show you something. It's not just for their own sake. They show you something. We've seen throughout the book so far, Jesus says, let me prove to you I'm the son of man who can forgive sins. You remember the son of man? That comes from Daniel 7. The son of man is God's king who's gonna rule everyone everywhere forever. It's the biggest title you can have. Let me prove to you I'm the son of man, Jesus says. Take up your bed and walk to the paralytic. Paralytic walks, what should we all see? This is God's promised king who's gonna rule everyone and everything forever. He, only he can forgive sins. The miracles prove who he is. Uh, if you were gonna listen to anybody on prescriptions for how to live life, would you want it to be God's promised king who's gonna reign forever and ever over all things? And then you ask, but can I trust him? And Luke sandwiches this sermon in between miracles, which shows you not only who Jesus is, but it shows you his compassion. Is he, is he like a warlord dictator who just wants to march on you, trample you into the dirt? Or when he teaches, does he teach for your good? Why does he say, hey, blessed is this and woe to that? If he wants to bring you woe, he could just not warn you and just come and bring you woe. He could, just, he could just smash you. But instead he comes and brings you, blessed are, woe is, why? He's compassionate, he's kind, he wants to, he's, he's, inv he's inviting you. Come on, enjoy the blessing of my kingdom. Come on. So Luke is trying to show us, I'm trying to show us, Jesus is trustworthy. He's trustworthy. If you want it in a theological term, he's the ultimate Moses who speaks the word of God, saves people from slavery, and brings them into the promised land. You should trust him. Look at his miracles. He's the son of man. He's God's promised king forever and ever over everyone. And he's so compassionate. He's loving. You can trust him. Who do you trust when it comes to how you know 
how to live a happy life. You got people yelling at you all the time, don't you? Every day you go to school, you go to class, you watch television, you listen to the news, you got it from your parents, you got it from every single source in the world is telling you all the time, this is what it means to be happy. This is what it means to thrive. And we listen to some of that mess, don't we? And Jesus wants to say, hey, will you listen to me? And as he speaks, we need to ask, well, which authority will I trust? Will I trust my own autonomy, how I feel? Will I trust this group, that group? Or will I trust the king of kings, the ultimate Moses, the compassionate one? Hey, trust him. He's trustworthy. Now let's look at his teaching, his wisdom. So Jesus has these different crowds here. The text says he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and then he's gonna begin just kind of giving the culture of what it means to be his disciple. And so as we, as we listen, we're supposed to pay attention, measure ourselves, and, and, and join in. But there's a wake-up call, isn't there? That's what you call it when you get blessed and then you get woe. You know what woe is? We don't, we don't say that very often. Woe to me, old-fashioned language. But do you know what that means, woe, woe to you? That means you are gonna get the judgment you deserve. It's very stark, it's very heavy. You are going to get the judgment you deserve. So let me just put it in real practical terms, it's a difficult concept. You don't want woe, okay? Are you tracking with me? You do want blessing. Blessing means you're thriving. It means there's deep joy. It means there's hope. It means you're in the right place. It means good things are coming to you. Which would you rather have? Woe or blessing? Okay, it's supposed to be real simple. Real simple. I, ooh, me, I want blessing. Okay. How are we not supposed to hear this though? Because what did we see? Uh, blessed are you who are poor. So we could be like, okay. If I go and become poor, then finally God will bless me. How do I do that? Well, let's see. What would you have to do? Find the poverty line in the United States? And then make sure you don't make any more than that. And then finally, God will love you. If Jesus said that, actually, would you do it? Is he saying that? No. No, he's not saying that. Uh, You can't take this in this wooden kind of literalistic thing. First of all, you see, many of Jesus' disciples are not poor like that. In fact, when Jesus has defined the poor he's come to save, he includes Naaman in one of those. Remember him? He's a rich Gentile general, and he counts as one of the poor. And then when Jesus preaches his sermon about how, hey, I'm the one who's come to liberate the poor, he goes to his poor village, preaches the sermon, and they all want to kill him. So the economically poor aren't part of his group of poor that he's going to save. It's, It's deeper than that. It's deeper than that. So what's going on? Well, remember the context. Who is Jesus? He's the ultimate Moses, building up God's people to save them. Who is Jesus? He's the king of kings. He's king. See the first blessing? Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom. So here's, I want to show you how this works. It's like this. It's not, hey, if you do these things the right way, God will bless you. Good luck. Go try to be poor and hungry. No. It's more like this. If you are blessed enough to be in my kingdom, this is what you'll value in life. If you are blessed enough to be in my kingdom, this is what you value in life. 
See, we're in a transition here, right? What's happening? One kingdom is falling, and another kingdom is building. Jesus is establishing himself as king. And so anytime there's a new coach or a new president or a new leader of any way, he, he sets up his, hey, this is how we, this is how we do things here. This is how we're going to get this done. And so Jesus is coming in as a king and saying, hey, this is the way it works in my kingdom. So there's this transition, the old kingdom crumbling, the new kingdom rising. What will you value? Which kingdom are you in? Where's your allegiance? So Jesus is saying, given the reality that I'm king of everything forever, happy and thriving are those who approach life in this world like this because they're in my kingdom. Does that make sense? But this is why, you can see why we call this the upside down kingdom, because his values seem upside down. His wisdom for life seems like foolishness. At first glance, it sounds terrible. Aren't you excited? Evidently, you cannot have money, food, laughing, or friends. Hey, Johnny, what do you want when you grow up? I'd like to be poor, hungry, weeping, and hated. No one says that. We're, why does Jesus speak so starkly, so strongly like this? I think he's trying to wake us up to how insidious the values of the old kingdom are. How insidious they are. And wake us up to how upside down or different his values are. Wake up. But he doesn't mean this. So, so we don't want to take this woodenly, right? And it would be... If, if anybody, if you're thinking, wait, wait, are you saying he's not saying, uh, blessed are those who are poor? Listen, if you took this in a wooden or literalistic way, you couldn't help the poor, you realize, because then they wouldn't be poor anymore and they wouldn't be blessed. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Or uh, hungry. What did Jesus do when Levi threw him a great feast? Oh, I can't eat this. Blessed are the hungry. No, no. He went and ate. In fact, his enemies called him a glutton and a drunkard. Why do you think that was? It wasn't from his fasting. So you can't take it in a wooden or literalistic sense. I mean, Jesus says, blessed are those who weep. And then in a few verses, he's going to say, rejoice and leap for joy. Well, you realize none of these things, poor, hungry, weep, being hated, none of these things are ever things you're supposed to pursue for their own sake. Ever. Ever. Remember the context. We're in a transition of two kingdoms. Anybody ever listen to Handel's Hallelujah Chorus? One of the best lines is, I won't sing it for you. The kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord. And then if we had the choir, and of, I guess I will sing it for you. And of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord, and he shall reign forever and ever. So the old king is rusting out and breaking and dying. The new kingdom is building and growing. It's not full yet, but it's here, and it's growing, and it's coming. So since the old way, the old kingdom is dying and crashing, you don't want to buy stock in that kingdom. You don't want to put all your retirement into MySpace. Anybody remember MySpace? Can I get four people? I have some people, okay, there's six people, okay? Oh, man, don't, couldn't you go back in time, put all your retirement, invest in MySpace? <laughs> Woe to you. You don't want to attach your heart to the values 
of this kingdom here and this world. You don't want to do that. You want to attach your heart and your values to his kingdom, and that will mean a different way of looking at the world. So to help us understand this, I think it'd be helpful to start backwards. I want to do the woes first and then the blessing, okay? So we're going to get beat up first, and then we're going to get hugged and comforted second, okay? It's, it's, it'd be more enjoyable for us that way. So are you ready to get a little bit elbowed by the king who is compassionate? Here we go. Woe to those who are rich. How many of us in this room are in the scope of, of the global economy rich? All of us. Woe to you who are full now. If you're one of the few people and you don't have enough food, let us know. We will get some for you. For the rest of you, usually my problem is not finding enough to eat. It's stopping. Woe to you who are full now. Woe to you who laugh now. You just laughed. You're done. You laughed again. It's over. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. Oh, what does this mean? Here, let me tell you what it means. Rich means, rich means living for power and riches. Full means living for comforts and pleasures. Laughing means living for pride in success. And for when people speak well of you is living for human praise. You dare not live for these things, Jesus says. You dare not. Let me, let me walk through them. First, woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. Now let's, let's be honest. Let's be balanced. Is money bad or evil? No. No. Money is a gift for you to use to glorify God and love your neighbor. Money is not bad or evil. The love of money and the power that comes from having that kind of influence, oh, that's bad. Listen to what Jesus says in another place. I wanna give you all evidence from Luke as I try to make my points here. Look at Luke 12. Jesus makes a parable here. We need to listen up. We live in America. We need to listen up. Look at Luke 12, verse 16. And Jesus told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll big larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Stop. That is what our culture teaches every one of us what to live for. This is the American dream right here. I have enough and now I can kick it. If we didn't know this was a parable from Jesus, we'd be like, I hope that works for me. Listen up. Oh, my goodness. Next verse, verse 20. But God said to him, everybody read it to me, so you're preaching to me, I'm not just preaching to you. God said to him what? Fool. You're a fool. If you live for riches and power in this world and in this kingdom, and that's what you live for, you are a fool. You are an idiot. You have no idea. This night, your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Verse 21, Jesus sums it up. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Woe to you who are rich. You've received your consolation. This life will be as good as it gets. And then Jesus is saying, and you have forgotten to even consider 
the reality of the next life. Woe to you. Woe to you. If you live for riches, you will lose it all. You know you can't keep it. There's not this like way to, you know, we, you go to the airport and you're like, I want to change my dollars to euros or whatever. You can do that. You can't be like, I want to trade my cash money into spiritual reward. How do I do that? You know, oh, rewards in heaven. There's only one way to do that. That's to give it away while you're here. I'm not telling you not to make money, folks. Make lots of money. And as you make more money, what should you do with it? Give it away. Give it to the poor. No, give it to the poor. Or, or this might mean you choose a job or a career where you make less money than you could for kingdom reasons. Anyway, woe to you who live for money. It's like investing in my space. Second one, verse 25, woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Again, are food and enjoyments and comforts bad and evil? Are we sinning against God by turning the, ele- the air conditioning on? No. Are you kidding me? No. You're going to eat lunch today. Are you sinning when you eat lunch? Or if, if you have somebody over and you make them a nice lunch, is that wicked or evil? Hey, we were full. No, of course not. The Bible tells us over and over again this is a gift from God to enjoy. It's a gift from God to enjoy. But woe to you if you live for comforts, if you live for pleasures, if that owns your heart, you shall be hungry. Have you ever been really hungry before? Some of us have, have never really experienced honest hunger. It's painful. And to be spiritually hungry, to wish you had and know that you don't, uh, Jesus said this in Luke 12, 25. Sorry, Luke 12, 23. He said, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Verse 31 then, he says, instead seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. But I want you to see that idea of life is more than comfort and pleasures. Life is more than that. And if you live for that, Jesus says, you'll be missing out on true and real life. Life will have passed you by, and when you stand before God, you will be so hungry and wishing you had lived differently. That's what he's saying. You'll be wishing you had lived differently because you bought all the stock in the world, in the kingdom that's going down, and you had nothing in Jesus' kingdom, which is here. Don't live for comfort. Then the next one, woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. A couple commentators I say, hey, I looked at said, hey, this word laugh is about, it's not just a joyful relating with one another. Of course, and you knew that, right? Of course. It is a kind of like, hey, look how successful I am, laughter. I'm successful. And so I'm convinced by the view where Jesus is saying, woe to you who live for earthly view of success. Woe to you who live for an earthly view of success. Now again, is success in itself bad? Did Paul write his letter to the Romans and go, man, I hope this letter is terrible. I hope it just doesn't work at all. 
No. That when, when Peter preached a sermon and thousands of people believed and the church was planted, was Peter like, oh no, woe to me, I had success. That's insane. Of course not. The Bible tells you to do your work heartily as unto the Lord, which means Christian work looks like high-quality work. So if you're a carpenter and you're doing it for the Lord, you're not, you're not making your, your patio fall apart. So you won't have success, so God will bless you. That's ridiculous. You're gonna do the best work you possibly can. So people say, wow, that carpenter, the best ever. And, and God gets glory. We're not talking about hating success for itself, but woe to you if you live for this world's view of success. He, what does he say? Woe to you, laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. You know what's usually on Jesus' mind when he uses that phrase, mourn and weep? It's usually hell. Luke 12, 27. When you stand before the Son of Man, if you don't belong to him, Luke 12, 27, Jesus says, he will say, I tell you, I don't know where you came from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be what? Weeping, gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. What's going on here? It's a love, a love of living for this world's success and no passion or concern for the kingdom's success in this world. It's about the woe comes to those who live for their own kingdom rather than Christ's kingdom. Woe to you who laugh now. You lived only for your own kingdom, your, for the world's view of success. Finally, the last one, verse 26. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Again, we gotta ask, is it bad when you do something and people praise or encourage you for a job well done? So, so if you serve today and somebody says, oh, thank you, thank you for cutting the bagels for us, you should be like, oh my gosh, I messed up. People are speaking well of me. You know, should you do your service in such a way so that everyone mocks and reviles you? <laughs> You're the worst bagel cutter ever. Finally, Jesus loves me, you know. That's insane, of course not. Again, you should never seek these things out for their own sake. It doesn't help anyone for you to be intentionally super poor so we have to give our money to you. It doesn't help anyone for you to seek out starvation. It's ridiculous. Please don't try to get us all to hate you. We're struggling enough to like you already, right? I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding, of course. But you hear what he's saying. If you're not willing to live for my kingdom because of what people will say about you, or if you're not willing to speak the truth of my kingdom because you're living for people who like you, woe to you. You're like a false prophet, which means you're a fake. You're a fake Christian. If you won't live for his kingdom, because you live for the praise of others, woe to you, you're a fake. Because you're lashing on all your stock of your life, of your heart, into the dying kingdom, and you're forgetting, you're denying, you're abandoning the true king and his kingdom. Do you hear what he's saying? Okay, how many of you need Jesus to forgive you right now? <laughs> okay, I do. Oh, God, help us. Help us latch on to the true kingdom and not live for the values 
of this world. So do you hear it, folks? Don't, don't despise money, but don't live for wealth. Don't despise food and comforts or a gift from God, but don't live for them. Don't despise success, but don't live for it. Don't despise human praise and encouragement, but definitely do not live for it. It will end up in woe. And in the day that comes, you will not be happy. You will not be satisfied. You'll be full of regret. And we don't want that. Okay, now let's look at the opposite. Let's look at the blessings. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. First of all, this, happens, this has to mean a spiritual poverty. It has to mean a spiritual poverty. It's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, and it's what Jesus has been saying through Luke this entire time. Remember, remember when he went into the synagogue? It's his home church, it's his family, it's his friends, his neighbors, and he preaches, and they want to throw him off a cliff. I mean, oh my gosh, I've preached bad sermons. You have yet to try to throw me out in the middle of Hyle Avenue. How on earth did he do that? He told them God did not, they are not receiving the blessing of God because they are self-righteous. So if you think you are spiritually, I think I heard Tim Keller say it this way, if you're spiritually middle class, you're not perfect, but you have a lot to offer. You're a good person. If you stood before God and you're like, hey, look, I went to church a couple times, I was generally a nice person, let me in. If you are... You have no idea, no idea how far from a holy God we all are because of our sin. The only person who is going to know God's blessing is one who is spiritually poor, which means your prayer when it comes to being right with God is like the tax collector in Luke 18. Have mercy on me, O God, for I am a sinner. So what does he bring to the table in that little equation there? I'm a sinner. Here's what I got. I've sinned against you. And if you're feeling good about the bad things you haven't done, you haven't even yet plugged in on all the good things you're supposed to do. That's what scares me the most. <laughs> I'll have mercy. I'm a sinner. Have mercy. Have mercy. Helpless sinner. Guess what? Here's the good news. If you feel the weight of your sin and you're crying out to God, have mercy on me, what does Jesus say to you? Listen, be encouraged. You have no idea how blessed you are. You have no idea how blessed you are. And my kingdom is yours. My kingdom is yours. You are loved. You are welcomed. You are built up. My kingdom is yours. Blessed are you when you are spiritually poor and humble. You know your sin and you need God's mercy. But I do, having said that, I think that's primary. It's obviously primary, contextually, and everything else. It's primary. But there's a secondary repercussion. There is, a, there is an economic repercussion. Because remember the woe? Woe, for you, woe to you if you live for money, which means those who are in Christ's kingdom, what do we not live for? Money, which means every Christian should in some way be more poor than they could have been. I want to let that land. Every Christian should in some way be more poor than they could have been. 
Why? Because you live for a different kingdom. You live for a different kingdom. Look at what Jesus says in Luke 12, 32. Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock. Isn't that, isn't that nice? <laughs> kind. I like it when he calls me little flock. I'm like, okay. Fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What does the father love to do? He loves to give you his kingdom. Isn't that amazing? His kingdom. He loves to give it to you. Okay, so now what? Verse 33. Fear not, little flock. Verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Make yourself more poor than you could have been. Why? Because you're in a new kingdom. Verse 34, for where your treasure is, it's where your heart is also. There's only one way I know to know that I don't live for money. Only one way. And that's to give some of the money I have to the things of the kingdom. Please don't hear me saying that the only way or even the best way is to give to this church. I'm, I'm not preaching for my church's budget right now. I, I swear to you, I promise you. Um, you. You heard it here, give to the poor. So, so if you... Give to International Justice Mission and rescue slaves or, or give to World Vision and walk for water or there's a billion wonderful ways to give to the poor. Um, but do you hear the point? When you, when you are spiritually poor and you love his kingdom, blessed are you, blessed are you, and you're gonna be more poor than you could have been and, and now if you're like, well, Pastor Matt, what does that mean? How much do I give? What a... <laughs> Great question. Mostly you have Christian liberty to figure out that mess for yourself. But you're hearing Jesus' words right now. Which kingdom do you live for? Next one. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Again, of course, it can't mean never eat. Ridiculous. What does it mean? Spiritual hunger, or in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, it's hunger and thirst for righteousness. For righteousness, God's character and his ways. So do you hunger to be right with God and pleasing to God and to be with God and to love God and to know God? Do you hunger for that? What is God's promise to you? I'm gonna satisfy you. <laughs> oh, you're gonna be satisfied. You're gonna be so happy. In giving myself to you, God says. Awesome, right? Uh, the lines of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That's hungering and thirsting for his kingdom, which means you're going to care about justice in the world. You're going to care about peace. You're going to care about reconciliation. You're going to care about forgiveness. You're going to care about obedience. You're hungry for it. And man, in this, if you're awake, right, in this day and age, how hungry are we? Please, God, come. You're going to be satisfied. Do you hear his promise? You're going to be satisfied. I love the comforts of these for hurting Christians. 
Listen, if you're dying because of injustice you've seen or you've tasted, and you're starving for righteousness, hear the word of the king. I will fill you up. I will fill you up. I'll take care of it. Verse 21, blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. See, there it is. Laughter is not always bad. Praise God. Again, you don't pursue this for its own sake. If I see you crying in the hall and I ask you, oh, what's wrong? If you say, well, your sermon was terrible, I'll be like, I'm sorry. Uh, but if you say, I just want you to love me, so I'm weeping. <laughs> Come on, brother, <laughs> yeah, right? What is this? What is this? Well, there's this, you can't help but see repentance in this. James says it. Look what Jeremiah 31.9 says. This is God speaking through his prophet. With weeping they shall come, and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back, and I'll make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble, for I am a father to Israel. When you repent from sin, when you hate it, when you turn from it, and you want to know the shepherding, loving hand of God, a lot of times you go through weeping on the way to joy. That's what repentance looks like. But again, there's another aspect it's being willing to weep for the kingdom. It's when God gives you hard situations and you want to run. And it'd be easier to run, but you know his call of obedience to be faithful. And the faithfulness causes you weeping, but you're doing it for his kingdom. You're going to laugh. You're going to laugh. You remember um, on Easter, we looked at Luke 24 when Jesus rises from the dead, and it says his disciples disbelieved for joy. It's too good to be true. If you are weeping now for the kingdom, there will be a day. It was too, it's too good to be true. We'd be like, really? Jesus will make you laugh. We sang it today. The lamb who was for sinners slain is making all things new. Verse 22, blessed are you when people hate you and they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil. Again, please don't pursue this for its own sake. <laughs> you can't just go out and be a total jerk to everyone and then just be like, I'm suffering for Christ. No, just because you say Christian words and you're mean and cruel does not mean Jesus is pleased with you. You're suffering because you're mean and cruel. Doesn't count. Of course, you don't want to seek this for its own sake. But if people exclude you, revile you, spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man, what does that mean? It's because you're a Christian. It's because you live as a Christian and you live for his kingdom. When they mock you and revile you for that, blessed are you. It's because you speak like a Christian. Again, in context, the reason people are already planning to crucify Jesus is because he speaks to their sin and their total need for him for salvation. Guess what we need to speak to? Sin. And the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. And if you say that or allude to that, if you believe that, guarantee you will be hated by someone. The most outrageous claim causes Jesus' family and friends to want to throw him off a cliff is, um, you're sinners and you need me. 
So when that happens, when people hate you because you're a Christian, verse 23, the great irony, what should you do? Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. A couple of months ago, Habib preached a sermon where he leapt for joy on stage. It was one of the great moments of life here at Fountain of Life. Did anybody see that? He was showing us what it's like. And uh, I, just, I always remember that illustration because it was a question of like, how often do you actually leap for joy? Some of you are like, I haven't leapt in 83 years, you know. <laughs> be careful, don't, don't leap too much. I want you to be able to get back up again, right? But leaping for joy is a special kind of joy. Okay, um, I'm gonna embarrass lots of people in the room today. Uh, Dave was at my house when, when the Patriots came back and beat the Falcons in the Super Bowl. It's a picture of heaven on earth, right guys? Right there in the middle, I see you nodding, saying, yeah, I see that hand. What did we do then? We leapt for joy. Sports brings us out of some of us. We leap for joy. But what, is, what does it take for you to get so fired up that you actually, it comes out of your body, that you, your body is showing your joy. And Jesus says, anytime you're mocked because you're faithful to me, party on. You know, we get together for birthday parties, luncheons, you call me up, you get persecuted, we'll have a party. I'm serious. I'm serious. Leap for joy. Jesus gives you two reasons. Look backward. You're just like one of my prophets, Jesus says. Abraham, Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, you. Would you like to be listed in that number? You'd like one of my prophets, rejoice, you're in good company. Second, then Jesus says, your reward is great in heaven. Jesus is usually, an, he, he kind of understates things a lot. Do you think, you know, somebody says, hey, it's going to be great, and you go see what it is, and, you're, and you want to be like, that wasn't great. You ever had that happen to you? Hey, this is great. And you go there, it wasn't great. Do you think it's like that with Jesus? When he says something is great, you think you're going to be like, well, it was okay. Your reward is going to be mind-blowingly wonderful. Rejoice. Again, it's all about what kingdom you're in. Do you see how this works? It's all about what kingdom you love. It's all about what kingdom you live for. And if you live for Jesus and his kingdom and you are willing to take on poor, weeping, the rest, blessed are you because you're in the right kingdom. You're in the right kingdom, and that kingdom is going to win. That kingdom is coming and will come. He will reign forever and ever. Blessed are you. You're in the right place. How do you enter in? Well, I told you earlier, Jesus is the new ultimate who? Moses. Let me take it in Luke 9.30. It's a picture of Jesus when he's transfigured. He's with Moses and Elijah. There's something real curious, real amazing in this verse. I want you to see it. Luke 9.30. Behold, two men were talking with Jesus. Who are they? Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his, what? Departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And I left you a little footnote there. See the little B in brackets? And what is the Greek word under there? Exodus. Plug this in with me. The ultimate Moses is going to accomplish an exodus. And where is he going to do it? In Jerusalem. See, the old Moses, his exodus, there was plagues on the people of Israel. And then they all walked through the sea. 
and they were saved. And there's gonna be another exodus like this where the, the prophet saves the people and takes them to the promised land, except this time it's gonna be in Jerusalem. And folks, this time it's not Pharaoh and his armies taking on God's wrath and judgment. It's the prophet himself. The exodus Jesus accomplishes is the cross. It's the cross. The new Moses doesn't escape through the waves. He's drowned by the waves. This king doesn't just pronounce woes. He takes the woes on the cross. He was made poor on the cross for my love for money. He was emaciated for your love of comfort. He, on the cross, wept under the judgment of God for our love for worldly success. He was punished on the cross like a false prophet for our compromise. Oh, this prophet and this king. 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How do you enter in to the kingdom? I'll just look at and trust the king who died for you. Look at this passage in Colossians 1, 12 to 14. Paul's praying for the church, and look what he says. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. God has qualified you, verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the what? The kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Are you poor in spirit today? Do you say, Jesus, I need you. And as you look at this Moses who's plagued for you, at this king who goes under woe for you and who saves you in his great love, in his great love, aren't you, like this text says, filled with thanksgiving that he would love you like this? Aren't you filled with joy that he has brought you into his kingdom? I do not deserve to be an heir of his kingdom, and he has made me so. He has made you so through faith in Christ. And now as you see him and you know his love and you love him, what do you want to live for? Do you want to latch your heart to the kingdom of this world? There's nothing but woe there. Latch your heart to the great king and his kingdom. Live for his glory and his honor. And if need be, sometimes you'll be poor. You'll be poorer than you could have been. But that's okay. You're rich in him. If you'll, you'll know hunger and thirst for righteousness, but that's okay. He's going to fill you. Sometimes you'll have to weep in the sorrow of the day of repentance of others' needs, but that's okay. You'll laugh. And sometimes as you live for his kingdom, you'll be hated. Hey, Let's have a party. He rose from the dead. He reigns. And we're going to enjoy that kingdom forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what words you have given us, we pray it would sink down into our heart. God, I pray you confront me and everybody in here who lives for riches, comfort, success, and praise. Help us turn away from that and live for you in your kingdom. Lord, help us to trust you, the one who's loved us and suffered for us and won us, transferred us into your kingdom. 
and help us know we're blessed as we belong to you and just be happy in suffering for you as needed. Lord, happy to live for you in a world that denies you. Happy to be like you. Blessed are we who belong to you. Do your work in us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.fofcrc.com.